Welcome to Dentistry Uncut, the stuff you wish you knew. Welcome in, everybody. Uh, this is the first drinks and discussion episode, which is just going to be Nate and I ripping a, a podcast together, talking about different things um, that we find interesting and, and questions and maybe an expertise or an area that, that we feel like would be useful for you all to know. We're going to talk about Bitcoin today just because I've talked to Nate about it since probably last summer or fall and we've gone back and forth and he always is asking me questions. I'm like, shoot, let's just record an episode because Nate, your questions are likely questions of, of every single other person and it is becoming more and more mainstream and it's something that, you know, there's news flow each and every day that's coming out and I think people have questions. So with that, we're just going to have more of an unstructured question Q&A discussion and Nate, um, anywhere that you want to start with uh, with the Bitcoin discussion? One, don't hold my ignorance against me. Uh, and two, even though we have been talking about it for some time, I feel like there's still a fair amount of questions that that I have um, that I that I maybe don't understand but need clarification on. So I guess my thought process is, is how can we um, maybe help those that are going through what I'm going through and trying to learn more about uh, a potential opportunity and, and create some clarity to it. So I think obviously, you know, Bitcoin, I think if we start with Bitcoin, right, it's it's a cryptocurrency, right? So how many other cryptocurrencies are out there? Well, it, I guess the, the answer to that is how many are still alive and how many have been in existence? So there's a lot that have been in existence at some point. There's, you know, roughly probably 5,000. There's a an excellent chart. And again, podcasts are not great for visuals. But um, if you look at, I think there's, you know, 21 120 cryptocurrencies that are still active that have some sort of like volume or dollar amount of value in it, which if you think about Bitcoin, it's 65% of all cryptocurrency. So if you think about all these different thousands, there is one gorilla in the room, it's Bitcoin. That's why I think you should focus on it because it's the one that it's accrued the value and where the interest is. But there's a great chart where you see this one line that just kind of keeps growing and going up and getting bigger. And then you have a 2,120 of these other lines that are all over the place. And they go down to the right. And the chart is basically like, there's one thing to focus on and there's one story here. And when you start measuring all the other different cryptocurrencies in Bitcoin, and I did a webinar recently and, and really tried to drive home this point of, you know, why do you focus on Bitcoin versus other things? And so the, there's a term called shit coins for anything that's non-Bitcoin. And that's kind of what Bitcoin maximalists or people that just focus on Bitcoin call it. Um, which, I mean, that term is, uh, I laugh a little bit, but if you look at kind of the top other crypto assets that are out there, it's not saying that they aren't going to have value or be worthwhile, but Ethereum is is the, the second largest. And there's a lot of different things that are done in Ethereum. And we don't need to get into what is Ethereum and all that other stuff. But if you measure it in Bitcoin terms, it's down about 80% from its all-time high. Now, it might be making new highs in, in USD, so in, in dollars. But if you would have just bought Bitcoin instead of Ethereum, you're, you're up significantly. And the same if you go down the line, whether it's Ripple, Dogecoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, all these, it's like negative 93, negative 96, negative 75. It just doesn't make sense. So if the, the goal is to allocate and say, where should I focus my time on? It's Bitcoin. So what makes Bitcoin different than those those other um Oh, what's what am I looking for here? As cryptocurrencies, a, yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. makes it different than the other cryptocurrencies? Yeah, yeah. why so are people think, backing it more? Yeah, so 
Bitcoin's creation is something that is very different than all the others. So Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency that has, I guess, happened more recently. And I think people will automatically go to and say, well, what if Bitcoin's the MySpace to everyone else's Facebook? Well, what Bitcoin is, there's a, a long history of trying to figure out how to have, you know, digital assets or or cryptographic information. And so there was like DigiCash and CyberCash and eGold and BitGold. And these are in the 80s and early 90s. So it's not like Bitcoin is the first iteration of anything, right? But the key thing with Bitcoin is there's an anonymous founder or founders. So he, she, they, they don't know who created it. There was no pre-mine, which is important because a lot of the other cryptocurrencies that are out there, what they've done is they create these coins, but then they keep a lot of them for themselves. And basically, if it takes off and it's successful, they're uber wealthy. Hmm. Bitcoin was not created like that. It wasn't a, hey, I'm going to try to be a founder and get rich on this. It's I'm trying to create better money. And if you look at it from a monetary property, Bitcoin is better money. No other cryptocurrency has what Bitcoin has, which is a scarce supply cap of 21 million. It is able to have anyone validate all the transactions. So you can go back through, you know, 2009 and see every single Bitcoin transaction for, you can go on Amazon and buy the parts for 250 bucks. You can run your own node and you can verify every single transaction. What's a node? So a node is basically just an ability to run the Bitcoin software. So if you think about the software, all, all Bitcoin is, is it's computer code. So when Bitcoin was released, it was released as a white paper in, uh, it was on uh, Halloween in 2008 and it was nine pages. And it basically was like, this is what Bitcoin is. This is how it's going to be created. This is the, the goal of it. And basically all a node is, is running the code to be able to verify and see all the transactions. Now there's more depth as far as like, what are Bitcoin miners? And we can get into that stuff. But the thing is, there's so many other coins or other things where you can't verify how many there are. So again, I'll go back to Ethereum because it's the kind of the second largest. No one knows how much Ethereum is out there. The founder of Ethereum, Vitalik Buterin, on a podcast in 2020 stated that Ethereum is about 60% done. I would never put my money and want to invest in something if someone told me it's 60% done. Like, right? Like, who does that? No, if your bank no. said, hey, we're, 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 we're trying to get this stuff ready. We're about 60% of the way there. You'd be like, hey, you know what? I'll just hold off and wait until you guys get, get exactly what's going on there. And that's similar to other things where they're still trying to find their their product market fit where Bitcoin has always done that. And it's perfected it from the beginning. It's better money. It's a way to store value over time where if Nate is working hard and doing things and he says, all right, I made X, Y, Z on this, you know, consulting or this practice transition or whatever it is, right? You can go and save that in Bitcoin where you know that there is a scarce finite amount where if you save that in US dollars, 1.9 trillion was just created recently. How, why? No one knows. It just was, why was 1.9 the number? Why wasn't it 2.9? Why wasn't it 5.9? Why wasn't it you know, 0.75? And we created money again last year. And so every time we create more dollars, it devalues the worth of the dollars that you hold in your bank. So your money that you've worked hard to get is worth less and less over time. So that's why Bitcoin matters. And that's why it focuses because it has perfected the properties of money. And so if we talk of what is money, just real quick, I think that's a great place to start. Start it up. So if I ask you what is money, what would be your answer, Nate? 
Um, money is is a, a a physical thing that I can hold that I would um, provide someone for a product and or a service um, that I that I would like to that I would like to have or performed. Makes sense, but it's something that everyone agrees has value. So it has kind of what they call a network effect. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because if you have, let's just say you have monopoly money and you try to pay me and I say, hey, Nate, that's great. But I would like this other money because that's what I believe has value. Sure. Yeah. It's an agreed exchange. It's an agreed, you know, it's a system, monetary system, right? Yeah. So it's basically the most. Yep. The most tradable asset and allows us, it gives us an instrument to compare things. So you can say, hey, this Tesla cost how many dollars and this Kia cost how many dollars? I know there's a difference. Is this difference worth it? For some people it is. For some people it's not. Same with a house or, or other thing, dental practice, um, you know, same thing. So to me, money is a social construct, right? It's the numbers. It's the whatever. You talked about being physical. I mean, you probably don't hold, and maybe you do, but a lot of people don't really even hold that much cash. It's all digital anyways with their bank. Now they could mm-hmm. go get their cash if they wanted to, but you know, money has had a lot of different forms over the years. It's been seashells. It's been, you know, rye stones. It's been agri beads, which have been called, you know, slave beads, um, gold. And then there's fiat currency. So we hear fiat currency, basically fiat means that there's no intrinsic value. And it only has value because a government maintains its value or because parties engaging in an exchange agree it has value. Mm-hmm. And absolutely every single fiat currency has failed since the beginning of time. And the U.S. dollar is a fiat currency. So it's, you know, just the history of money. The British pound is the oldest fiat currency in existence, been around for 317 years. It originally was 12 ounces of silver. Now it's worth 0.5 so half of 1% of its original value. So it's lost 99.5% of its value. The U.S. dollar, the same thing. Then monopoly money from 1935 has held more value as a collectible than the U.S. dollar held since 1935. Uh, well, there's your fun fact of the day. So you mentioned something that I think is that is interesting based on conversations that, that I've had with uh, different folks that are my senior Um people that have been investing for a lot longer than, than I have in, in the market. So the dollar is backed by the U.S. government, and that's more than likely why it's been so strong over the past and why it's still present. Um, so, you know, with the Bitcoin, there's, um, there's no one that backs it. And for a lot of people, that's a, it's a pretty big barrier to entry into possible investment with Bitcoin. Um, how how is that not concerning that it's not backed by the government so why does the government need to back the money if the the whole idea for money to be in existence is it's agreed upon by the people so why shouldn't the people decide what's the best money and if you think about the united states like it's built on and based on freedom so it should be freedom of choice so if you find a better money you should be able to and allowed to use that money so the reason that the U.S. dollar has been so powerful is because it's the reserve currency of the world. So basically the world runs on dollars. Mm-hmm. There's something like 45 to 60% of the transactions in the whole world are closed in U.S. dollars. Now, there are certain countries that would love to switch that. And so if you look at what's happening with Russia, China, Iran, other places, you know they've bought a lot of gold in the last five years. And they're trying to settle 
you know, oil transactions and other, you know, goods and trades in other currencies, whether it's the euro or, or, or other things where they would love to get away from the US dollar because they don't like, uh, you know, us kind of dictating terms and, and structuring things. But to say that Bitcoin's backed by nothing, it's not necessarily true. And I think that's where an area to have a discussion on what is Bitcoin backed by. And so Bitcoin, we talked about that a little bit ago, but Bitcoin miners. So how new Bitcoin come onto the market is there's a mining process, which is really just these machines, right, that are trying to solve a cryptographic equation that allows for new Bitcoin transactions to be sent. So a new Bitcoin transaction, so that all the different transactions get grouped into blocks. Each block is sent every 10 minutes. You have all these distributed miners all over the world that are trying to solve the challenge. And when they solve it, they get paid in Bitcoin. Now, one of the key things with these miners is it's backed by the energy that it costs to run the machines. So for them, they have a real cost. It's estimated the cost to run, you know, Bitcoin machines, call it, you know, $75,000 a day for big miners. So there is real money being spent to, to mine Bitcoin and it's very specialized. So Bitcoin miners right now are, you know, just for one machine, which would not make you very competitive. Um, it can cost anywhere from five to 10 grand for a special ASIC miner, which is what's out there today. And the mining process not only helps, you know, bring in the supply schedule of new Bitcoin, which we can get into kind of, okay, how is there only 21 million? Why does that work? But the, the idea that's backed by nothing, it's backed by energy expenditure. So it's backed by energy consumption. It's backed by real effort. Where if I go back to how did the $1.9 trillion stimulus come to fruition? What was it backed by? Nothing. They just go into the system and add more ones and zeros and away we go. And then we're going to have another $2.2 trillion stimulus that's being suggested on infrastructure. What's that backed by? So it's backed by the full faith of the government, right? But it's backed by the world's biggest military. It's backed by people's faith in money. And so for money to have value, it needs to have sustained demand. And so Lynn Alden, she wrote a great piece called Three Reasons I'm Investing in Bitcoin back in April of 2020. She has a really great quote about like, what is Bitcoin? And it's, although it has no industrial use, which is the same way that fiat currency has no industrial use. It's scarce, durable, portable, divisible, verifiable, storable, fungible, saleable, and recognized across borders. Therefore, it has all the properties of money. She goes on to say, though, like all potential money, it has to have sustained demand to have value. So it goes back to the idea of the network effect. And we can get into the network effect, but if you look at some of the big winners in just technology, so how's some of the wealth been created in the world right now? It's all in these dominant digital networks, Facebook, Apple. YouTube, Google, Twitter, and Amazon. Once they hit $100 billion, they are the winner. So today, Bitcoin is a trillion-dollar market cap. There's a trillion dollars of value that is stored in the Bitcoin ecosystem, right? So Bitcoin has won. There's not going to be a Facebook that's going to come and disrupt it. There's not another cryptocurrency that's going to displace it. And there's a really interesting quote that, that came up in one of the things that I shared is there is a company called NYDIG that has helped a lot of corporations put Bitcoin as their savings instead of holding cash, right? So Robert Gutman, who's the CEO, he says 100 out of the 100 conversations that he's had with investors seriously looking to allocate over $50 million, 
100% of those conversations have been about Bitcoin. 0% of them have been about other crypto assets. I think that's really powerful. Again, going back to, it's not if Bitcoin will be the winner. Bitcoin is the winner in the crypto space as far as the best money. It's looking at the adoption and then how do people understand it and interact with it. And I think it's important to get the education, which is part of why we're obviously recording this podcast. So you, you bring up a good point. I mean, so more more companies are using it to store value, right? So when does it get to the point or when would you uh, think that it would get to the point where your um, uh, Amazon or your Apple or quite frankly, your, um, you know, a dentist and you're accepting Bitcoin as a form of payment? Because I know that that's growing and there was more. Uh, companies that are getting involved, and I think what I've what I've researched and seen a little bit of is it reduces. Like for example, if you're going to compare um, processing Bitcoin versus processing a credit card, when it comes to like credit card processing fees, you know, there's a couple of percent there. Maybe uh, processing of a Bitcoin is not only significantly faster. I've read that it's maybe a second. I could be wrong. Is that right? Close. Is uh, it a second um, or two? So you're not incorrect, but so Bitcoin basically scales the same way that our current financial system scales, right? So like big transactions, we send a wire. So if you're buying a house, you're going to send a wire that right. goes in, but then you have like visa payments that are at the very, very top that are really quick. Usually you're not going to use that for huge transactions. Then you have right. ACH and other things. So like Bitcoin, it's base layer. Every 10 minutes, there's a new block of all the transactions together. So if I'm going to pay for dental work, I don't really want to pay in Bitcoin and wait for 10 minutes, right? But being built on what they call like the second layer is what they call the lightning network. And that is exactly what you're talking about where it is still trust minimized. So it's not as secure as the base layer. So again, there's way more technical stuff where that is not Isaiah's, you know, expertise and all the, the, the nooks and crannies of it, but just think about it. It's the, the layer that's quicker for payment and allows you to spend Bitcoin for, um, you know, cup of coffee services that you need to be done in like five seconds, similar to what you would do with Visa. The challenge in the US, and this is not around the world, like I was just listening to a podcast this morning. So in Argentina, which has seen its currency hyperinflate three times in the last 30 years, they're using Bitcoin day to day in transactions on their phones because they don't trust their banks and their financial system. And that's happened to other places too. Um, the United States right now, if you spend Bitcoin, it is a taxable event. So we are not set up as a country today to make Bitcoin easily to be used as a currency, as a means of exchange. Today, the use case for Bitcoin is to store value. And this is just strictly for the United States. So for those listeners outside the United States, which I know are, are very few and far between, um, it makes more sense to use as a currency. Today, we have not necessarily you know, passed the laws or reformed it enough because it is taxed as capital gains today. So it's considered, you know, as, you know, more like a, a property. So it's not, it's not set up ideally to be a currency today in the United States, even though the design of it, that's where it's going. And I do think that in the future, we'll see changes and adjustments and reform to that. I do. I believe that. So because it's electronic, do you think it's more susceptible to cybercrime and or hacking? I mean, I guess... Is that, is that a valid concern? I think it's a valid concern. So everything within the, the Bitcoin ecosystem and 
Bitcoin itself has never been hacked, right? So like there, you've never had a transaction that's been hacked and changed where if I sent you, say I sent you, you know, 0.001 of a Bitcoin and someone tried to hack the the network and change that to say, actually, Isaiah didn't send that to Nate. He sent it to, you know, Sarah and Sarah's the one that got it. That's never happened. So Bitcoin is cryptographically secure. So it's the SHA-256 for anyone that's interested in kind of the, the technology behind it, but that's the most secure kind of cryptographic um, security measures that we have today. And there's always questions like, oh, well, what if quantum computing comes around and cracks that that encryption? Well, if that comes around, they're likely going to be launching nuclear missiles and causing all kinds of chaos, right? Like there's other issues at, at play at that point too. And the fact that with Bitcoin, the the consensus is the entire network makes the decisions. So everyone within the, the Bitcoin network, it is all consensus. So if you wanted to make adjustments or changes, it would have to be done together. And there there's a great example of when that's tried to happen in the past and it's been rejected. But there can be improvements to Bitcoin as far as the developers that work on the code, but it has to be agreed upon by every single well, not the majority, I guess, the consensus of the majority. So there could be upgrades, I guess, to the security to prevent that, but there's never been a hacking of the Bitcoin blockchain itself. Now, there's been hacks of exchanges, so like Mt. Gox back in, I think, 2013 or 2014, where people lost Bitcoin, or you'll read stories of people holding their own Bitcoin themselves and forgetting their password, or it was on a laptop and you know they lost 1,000 Bitcoin and it's all this money. So the one thing that Bitcoin allows users to do is is be self-sovereign which is they can take their own bitcoin custody yep go ahead so so you you the bitcoin you mentioned that some people have lost it meaning and or they haven't been able to get back into their accounts is that because it's stored in like a digital wallet and like anything else you've got a password that protects that digital wallet exactly so okay. all bit all bitcoin from a security standpoint is it's all controlled by private keys so private keys control all 21 million Bitcoin. Bitcoin has no identities. It doesn't know anything about the outside world. All the Bitcoin network knows is signatures and keys. That's it. So if you control the private key, you control sending and receiving valid Bitcoin transactions. So okay. that's the key thing. Um, I guess that's a pun there. That's the, the critical thing to understand is you have the ability to where you can trust third parties like we do today, where you kind of trust a, a bank or a financial institution to hold your your wealth. But with Bitcoin, it gives you the optionality to say, hey, I can store this this digital money, this this digital gold, this wealth by myself and trust no one else because Bitcoin is all around a, you know, verify and then trust. So you can take that responsibility to hold it and and do whatever. And there there is nuance to to doing that, but it's not something that is beyond the capabilities of of anyone with some semblance of of tech savviness. You can get into way deeper layers, but to take control of your own Bitcoin, it's not hard. We can get into more of like what are keys and what does that look like and what are signatures, but. So if I'm going to invest in gold right now, I think um, the compound annual growth rate for gold is like one five or one six, one point five or one point six percent. And I've read that Bitcoin is right around 1%. Is that is that accurate? Does that sound right to you? Yeah. So I think what you're talking about is what they refer to as like stock to flow, which is kind right. of how hard an asset is as far as how often does it double. So mm -hmm. with gold, 
we can add about 1.6 new you know, gold per year. So it takes about 62 years to double the supply. The thing with Bitcoin is there is ultimate scarcity where there's only 21 million. So it gets scarcer over time where new Bitcoin coming onto the market gets less and less. So that happens through what they call these halving events. So every four years, the reward that the miners get. So miners are paid for the energy output in Bitcoin. So they're paid for solving the cryptographic equation and then, uh, you know, validating those blocks and allowing users of the network to send, you know, value back and forth to each other. And so they get paid for solving the block. And right now it's 6.25 Bitcoin. And, you know, before that it was 12 and a half. Before that it was 25, right? So every four years it gets less and less, but the price of Bitcoin goes up. So that's been helpful where the idea behind the scarcity is the only way to represent the increase in demand for Bitcoin is if it's a scarce amount is for the price to go up. So people will see the price go up by, so it's gone up hundred percent in the first quarter of 2021. And people are like, holy right. cow, it's a bubble, it's tulips, it's fake money. Well, if there's more demand and it's a scarce asset, it only naturally makes sense that the value is going to go up. And so Bitcoin today um, has about the same scarcity as gold. So it's inflation. So the, the amount of new Bitcoin coming on the market is about you know 1.7. But in 2024, when again, that happening happens again, where it gets more scarce, it will be a harder asset than gold. And it'll be the hardest asset in the world where it is more scarce. Now you could have a more scarce of like one painting where you know you have a famous artist that only, you know, painted one particular, you know, oil painting. So yes, that's scarce. And that typically holds value, right? So scarcity is important because if you have something that is very common, so think about like copper. Why is why don't why did you buy Nate, why didn't you buy your wife a copper ring? It would have been cheaper, right? <laughs> scarcity has value. <laughs> scarcity has value. Why are custom homes more expensive? Then the, uh, you know, four walls and slap on a roof starter homes in the, you know, build them on top of each other neighborhoods. There's a reason for it, right? Mm -hmm. Scarcity. Mm -hmm. Supply and demand, right? Exactly. And that's literally, if you want to understand Bitcoin's value proposition, it is, there's only 21 million. You can store your wealth in it. You cannot get your wealth inflated away or stolen by someone in Washington in a suit or in some other country deciding to print more. And as the network and people wake up to realize this is better money, the value of your savings goes up. But if you also understand why are home prices going through the roof, I don't know if anyone's tried to buy a home or looked at home prices. Part of the reason is when you create more and free money and there's PPP loans, there's universal basic income, there's higher than normal unemployment benefits, there's more money in the system. Everyone has more money to spend. The prices of assets that people want, cars, homes, education, healthcare, all that stuff is going to go up because there's more money. The idea with Bitcoin is you have a scarce fixed supply. The cost of goods shouldn't continue to go up like crazy. They should actually go down because your money's more and more valuable. And the only time that you're going to spend money is on things that actually matter. So I think about it like it could be a, you know, a renaissance as far as people actually caring and taking a longer term time preference on, on what's important to them because this money is so valuable and it's going to be worth more in the future. Do I really want to spend it today? It's going to incentivize saving and less on consumption. What percentage of uh, a portfolio would, uh, obviously there's a lot of questions that go around to what your portfolio consists of and how, um, how much risk you'd like to take, but let's just assume that it's moderate uh, risk. And um, I'm very interested in Bitcoin. 
Um, how would you walk someone through the process of identifying how much of their portfolio to put in a, an investment like Bitcoin? I think you start slow and the, the amount of Bitcoin that you have in your portfolio will increase as your conviction and understanding of Bitcoin increases. That's what has happened for me. So when I got interested at the end of 2019, I, uh, I remember the run up in 2017. I told everyone, oh, it's fake money. It's not real, blah, blah, blah. And that was kind of what the party lines were at the, the big firm I worked for because they didn't offer Bitcoin and they didn't want people to, to go put their money there. And as soon as it dropped, they was like, ah, see, we're right. But the idea behind Bitcoin is my unwavering opinion is every single person should own some Bitcoin. Every single person. There's not one person that will not benefit from having some Bitcoin. So if we think about the traditional standard 60-40 portfolio that a lot of you know, wealth managers or financial advisors or others will use as kind of the starting point, you can look at 55% goes to stocks, 40% goes to bonds, and maybe a 5% allocation to Bitcoin. Maybe that's too much, right? But if you look at the risk profile from that, no more risk, double the return, that seems pretty great. Like, why wouldn't you want a little 5% allocation to Bitcoin? So There's, what is the mm -hmm. argument then? Why, why have people told you, because I'm sure you've had this conversation. Once now, Isaiah, Bitcoin's not for me. It's not backed, right? It's not for, for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons why we're having this, this podcast is just to better understand it, right? So a lack of understanding is probably charged that type 100%. of- 100%. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of- there's a lot of narratives that have been pushed and a lot of things that come out in the news and in the media that are uninformed opinions that people trust. And so I'll read a couple different quotes. Bitcoin real value could be zero, Morgan Stanley analyst says. Well, guess what? Two weeks ago, Morgan Stanley became the first big U.S. bank to offer wealthy clients access to Bitcoin. Goldman Sachs earlier this year um, is allowing um, Bitcoin for their clients starting in Q2. But Bitcoin came or Goldman Sachs came out in 2020 to say Bitcoin is not a suitable asset class and will, they will not suggest it to clients. Um, Visa CEO, we won't process transactions in Bitcoin because it's not a payment system. Visa just came out and is going to enable Bitcoin purchases as of this year. Everyone eventually capitulates and changes their tune when they see that they have been wrong. And everyone that is listening to this that does not believe in Bitcoin will eventually realize, shit, I should get into this and understand it better. And so for me, it's just like, I don't need to convince you. At some point, you'll be forced to do it. And I love this format because I can say what I want where it's a little easier than in a, maybe a client conversation where I have to be a little bit more nuanced. If you're listening to this, you should own Bitcoin. It's just that simple. You need to get educated and feel comfortable with it. But starting small, that's totally okay. Um, I helped a client. It was a 2% position that he put on in 2020. That position is now about 8% of his total portfolio. When we talked, Nate, in September 23rd about Bitcoin, it was about $10,000. About $10,000. It is $58,000 today. That is up 576%. Thank when you it goes for pointing another, that out. When it goes up another 576% and someone has heard about it, they're going to be like, well, dang, maybe I should get into this. And I don't want it to be like, oh, it's FOMO and you got to you know, get in because people had that experience in 2017 where they bought at 17, 18, 19,000 and then it crashed and corrected back down to, you know, three or four. But if you understand the reasons for why you own it, then it changes. And I think that's the key thing is like getting better education. Your conviction will grow as far as how much Bitcoin you'll hold. But I think everyone needs to at least have some and you can buy $5 worth. Just 
start to own it, educate yourself. I think it's that big of a deal, which is why I've gone. Um, I, I, at this point, I've pretty much staked my reputation on, on Bitcoin in a way because I've had so many conversations and put out so much content and shared so much information because I believe it's that important. And if I care about the people that I work with and other people that are listening, um, it's my duty to at least explain to them that, hey, you should do your own research. Don't trust Isaiah. I don't know it all. I'm not telling you that I know Bitcoin and I've solved it, right? I'm still learning. But you need to do the education. You can't just dismiss it because it's happening. The adoption wave is happening and your time to to have Bitcoin ownership is coming. It's going to be aspirational, in my opinion, to have one Bitcoin by 2025. Aspirational for families. They're going to work their entire lives to get one Bitcoin in the future. And right now you can have a Bitcoin for 60K. But a few months ago, you could have had that same Bitcoin for how much? Uh, 10,000. That's my old crap moment. Darn it. And everyone will get Bitcoin when they're ready for it. Like you're going to buy it at the price that that you deserve it for. Because it's going to take time for people to get comfortable with it. And it's okay. You don't have to be like, oh, I missed it. I felt like I missed it when I started buying in the you know sub $10,000 range. Hmm. When I started buying Bitcoin, I was like, dang, I'm late. And there's, there's tweets from people that are like, ah, Bitcoin's $100. I missed it. You know, I could have bought it at five and it ran up to 100. And now I missed the boat. And you know what? Those people didn't buy. And then they look back and they're like, oh my gosh, I missed all this growth of what it would have been. And to me, it's not necessarily like Bitcoin is a speculative asset that you're going to gamble on and try to make a bunch of money and then go sell it. If Bitcoin works and it is what we think it will be, which is better money, you're going to want this for the future. Mm. Like, I think you're going to get paid in Bitcoin someday. You're going to want to get paid. You're going to be like, I don't want dollars anymore. I want Bitcoin. And you're already starting to see that even with homes getting sold. I saw there was a home in Miami where it's like, hey, there's a discount if you pay in Bitcoin. Really? You're going to start seeing stuff like that. Like Tesla's accepting Bitcoin for cars and they are going to retain the Bitcoin. They're not going to sell it and go back to fiat or go back to US dollars. They are using that as their way of accumulating more Bitcoin. Now they bought 1.5 billion which was about eight or 9% of their cash on hand. And they're just going to keep accumulating. And I think right now that's the name of the game is get some Bitcoin, accumulate yeah, you, you it, and it will develop the, over time. Sorry about that. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, so do you think that's one of the reasons, um, you know, obviously Tesla is, uh, is a, a very impressive company. Um, and, you know, their, their growth pr- platform is quite, quite impressive. Do you think that's one of the reasons why Bitcoin has taken off is because, um, organizations like Goldman Sachs or companies like Tesla have showed their faith in Bitcoin. And so it's increasing market faith. Some, market I don't think, comfort. I don't, I don't think Bitcoin really gives a shit what Elon Musk does. Um, Elon Musk is the most probably influential person in the world. And so when he says something, people listen. And so I do think more people are taking it seriously, but there's other companies that started to allocate to Bitcoin and it, it does allow for it to get a broader reach, but there's just more people asking questions. I think COVID and the unlimited printing that has happened as far as the, the money that's being created, more people started asking questions with that of like, how are we ever going to pay this back? When you see the debt to GDP, which means what we owe versus what we create, getting north of 130%, 51 out of 52 countries that's ever happened have defaulted. Like you start asking questions like, how the hell are we ever going to pay this back? And you you just don't know. There's no answer. There's no answer because 
it's really unpopular for politicians to raise taxes. No one likes that and they're not going to get reelected. Um, everyone wants more as far as, you know, government programs to help and support people. So like, how do you pay this back? Okay, well, we'll let inflation, we'll inflate it away. Well, now that's going to destroy anyone that's a retiree and a saver. It's going to increase all kinds of issues in the the system because everyone's built on this, you know, low inflation world. It's hard. There's no good answers. And so it's going to be kind of a rough period for for us to navigate and figure out what the heck's going on. I do think Bitcoin plays a role in in seeing that shift from where we are to where we need to be. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of worry. And I think this is a good topic because I think a lot of people say, well, the government will never allow it to be successful. Aren't they going to ban it? I'm sure that's a that's a question I get a lot. And we can certainly chat through that as well. I, well, I was one of my questions. So let's let's tackle that right now. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I saw someone that I respect in kind of the traditional financial world the other day say, yeah, if you've never um, if you don't think the government's going to come for Bitcoin, then you, you should Google, you know, Tiananmen Square. Because that's what's going to happen if people resist. You know, like I'm like, that's that's the weakest argument I've ever heard. So right now, there is a U.S. senator from Wyoming named Cynthia Loomis, who is on the Senate Banking Committee that ran as a Bitcoiner, owned Bitcoin since 2015. Um, there is a U.S. congressman from the 8th District in Ohio, Warren Davidson, that is a Bitcoiner. So we have, and there's there's another, um, I think, senator from Minnesota, I'm spacing on his name, that is, a, that is pro-Bitcoin as well and, and crypto assets. Um, last year, there's a um, federal. There was a, a note that you know federally chartered banks and thrifts may provide custody services for crypto assets. Um, Avanti, which is the first Bitcoin banking charter in Wyoming, um, won approval last year. The officer of the Comptroller of Currency, um, Brian Brooks, who stepped down after the Trump administration left, but he helped create U.S. banking um, framework for crypto assets to be held by current you know, large banking institutions. House Bill 230 in the state of Kentucky is directly targeted to Bitcoin miners to come do business in the state because Kentucky understands that there's value to be accrued. Um, and they're waiving sales tax on electricity to mine Bitcoin because they want to bring in jobs. Um, Miami is looking to pay its um, government employees in Bitcoin. They are trying to allow the treasury in Miami to hold Bitcoin. They want to accept payment in Bitcoin and change the legislation. So there are a lot of established players. Like I just talked about Morgan Stanley, um, Tesla, MicroStrategies, which is a public traded company. Visa has built a roadmap in a crypto banking you know, network to allow 70 million of their users to, to access it. PayPal is allowing users to pay people in Bitcoin. MassMutual, one of the oldest insurers in the United States, bought $100 million worth of Bitcoin, which is like point. 4% of their total allocation, but you're seeing adoption by large entrenchment of in, like players that have power in the space. So people in power that have a lot of money, you see a lot of different hedge funds that are starting to buy, they're connected, right? And the more connected those people are that are now Bitcoin owners, the harder and harder it's going to get to rip that away. If it's just you and me, Nate, the government come in and say, you know, we don't care. You guys have no power. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll shut this thing down. I think those days and the ability for them to shut it down is over. Also, you would have to ban free speech because all Bitcoin is is just code on the internet. So you're going to shut down the internet? You're going to ban free speech? Good luck. No, because the government can't shut it down. It's it, The train has left the station. They can't do it. They can't do it. They can try. They'll regulate it. They'll try to enforce 
you know, a lot of other things to slow it. I think that could absolutely happen. And I think that's a battle that we'll continue to fight. Isn't that one of the beauties though, is it isn't regulated? The beauty is that I wrote a piece um, last summer um, calling, you know, basically Bitcoin, the most American style money ever. It's for the people, by the people. It's consensus. You and I can help control and, and, and verify and ensure that our money is exactly how much we say it is. There's no more money being created and it allows for freedom and flexibility. With Bitcoin, you can memorize 24 words, put them in your head, and I can walk across the border from the United States to whatever country I want to and then take out a, a hardware wallet and transfer my Bitcoin. And the government cannot stop me. Like that's incredible. The amount of flexibility for people that have experienced you know, hardships in a country where they can't leave with the assets they have. Try to take the gold bricks with you. Where are you going to put them? There's only so much room that you're going to hold those gold bricks. You get stopped at the border. With Bitcoin, you can put all the stuff in your head and walk away and be able to, you know, make sure that your your family has those funds to live on. You know, think about, you know, Nazi Germany and the Jews trying to escape. They couldn't get the money out of the country because the banks were like locking down stuff and they cut everything off. One of the things that Bitcoin does, and I think it's really interesting is it allows for the freedom for people, whether they have 0.00001 Bitcoin or they have, you know, 10,000 Bitcoin, they're treated the same because again, Bitcoin doesn't care. If you have a digital key, you're sorry, you have a private key. That's all that matters. You get the same treatment. It's not, hey, Nate, you have a lot more money than Isaiah, so you get preferential treatment. The bank's not going to give me the platinum rewards and, and you know Isaiah gets the bronze rewards. It doesn't matter. The bank of Bitcoin treats everyone equally and the same, which is, again, why I think it's most American-style money of anything that's ever been created. What have we not learned about Bitcoin this morning that we should know before? As I say, there's... <clears throat> everything has gone digital, Right. All the biggest companies are digital. Bitcoin is just the internet's native currency. It's just digital money. It makes sense for us to be able to have a digital money that's purely digital that we can move and do whatever we want with it. It allows for a lot more freedom and flexibility. And Bitcoin is kind of, it's Bitcoin the asset, Bitcoin the network, and the blockchain is a record of all the different transactions and movements. That to me is the, the key thing. It's better money. And allows you to store the energy. So if I'm a dentist and I'm drilling on teeth and my back hurts and my shoulders are wrong and you know my wrists are, are achy, when you store your money in U.S. dollars, you are signing up to lose 6% every single year. And if we continue on the path that we did in 2020, the devaluation of the U.S. dollar was 24%. So if you're okay losing 20% of your money, if you wait 10 years, half the money that you saved is no longer going to be able to buy you the same goods and services that it could today. If you're comfortable doing that, then continue what you're doing. If you would prefer to be able to say, you know what? I put out a lot of work. I went to school for a long time and busted my hump to get here. When I get paid, I want to make sure that my purchasing power is the same today as it will be in 10 years and 20 years. I think Bitcoin makes more sense. Start small. You don't need to go out and say, hey, you know what? all the money in my, uh, my bank account. Cause you still are paying your bills in us dollars. Like I understand that. Like that's not lost on me. Um, do it slowly, but get educated. And there's some really good resources that we'll link to in the show notes as far as good podcasts, good books, good resources, blogs, 
because again, Isaiah doesn't have all the answers. We didn't, we didn't get into everything. Um, there's so much more from a technology standpoint of getting into the weeds of why there's only 21 million, how the keys actually work. Like all that stuff is important, especially if you're going to store, you know, hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars, like all these things, like people put serious money behind this. Like if you're going to store that kind of money, you want to make sure that you understand it. So I think education's key. Don't trust anyone else's opinion on it. Form your own opinions. If you think it's all bollocks and crap and you don't believe in it, that's fine. You can make that decision. You don't have to believe Isaiah. You don't have to believe Nate. You don't believe anybody. Form your own opinion and then do what you think makes the most sense for you and your family and your business. Well, Isaiah, thanks for giving us the 101 on on Bitcoin this morning. I think if uh, anyone is looking for um, advice and and uh, kind of where to proceed with their specific needs and desire to to uh, invest in the market, um, you're obviously a great resource to be able to do that. And and at the uh, at the end of the podcast or on the website dentistryuncut.com, uh, you'll see contact information. Um, feel free to. Um, write us at the at the podcast and and share any questions that that you might have we'll make sure to have isaiah uh, give his thoughts and and uh, address those those questions as they come in but thanks so much for sharing your working knowledge of of bitcoin and hopefully people are less confused now than maybe what they were before they listened yeah we'll hope either that or i just made it worse we'll see (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks everybody thank you for joining us on dentistry uncut if you didn't know now you know. Thank you for listening to today's show. The comments on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management and is also a registered investment advisor. Nathan Courtney is a practice transition consultant with Legacy Practice Transitions and a dental business advisor with Cloverleaf Advisory Group, where he's also an owner. The biggest compliment you can give is to share our podcast with a friend. Your reviews will help our listening audience grow. Apple Podcasts is the primary platform for our listeners. If you have a few minutes and you love the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest review and rating. For all of today's links and show information, head over to www.dentistryuncut.com. Again, that's www.dentistryuncut.com. There, you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast platform, so you won't miss out on the next episode. Thanks for listening.